I'm really interested to see if Nancy Pelosi actually goes to town. <laughs> and if this let's, actually let's happens. I, I'll, I'll bet you a hundred bucks that she goes and she shows up there tomorrow. If this actually does escalate to the level that the CCP is claiming they will escalate it to, uh, you don't want to be caught flat-footed because uh, the ripple effects across many industries, um, it'll be a bloodbath everywhere. Welcome to the latest installment of Currently, the podcast that brings you the week's current events in finance, business, and technology with insight from the experts. Today, Ryan Pallotta is talking with Josh Goltry. Josh is the founder and chief investment officer at JAG Capital. During their chat, Josh explains why investors should listen to earnings calls of companies they don't own to gain an edge. He also explains why investors shouldn't consider tech stocks growth stocks anymore. Ahead of Nancy Pelosi's purported trip to Taiwan, Josh shares his thoughts on how a destabilization of US-China relations could affect chipmaker TSM, a company he calls the most systemically important in the entire world. He also articulates the urgency and implications of bringing chip manufacturing to the US. Josh then talks about NVIDIA, a company he describes as the connective tissue of the world's entire tech infrastructure. He delivers his thesis on the firm, remarking that there is no better place company in the world for the decades ahead. Josh talks about Tesla and how the companies with the largest AI training sets will be unassailable. He also explains why pitching Tesla at 0.72 in 2019 cost him a position there. Our podcast with Josh Goltry reminds us that expert opinions and ideas are invaluable when choosing where to allocate assets. At Prometheus, you can learn directly from top financial professionals and access the funds they manage more easily than ever before. Go to our website, prometheusalts.com, and get started today. And now, enjoy our talk with Josh Goltry. Hey guys, today we have Josh Goltree. We're really excited to have him on. He's a new member on the Prometheus platform and he's been creating amazing content. He's a hedge fund manager, founded his own shop. It's doing incredibly well. And today I wanted to talk to him about some earnings reports that were going on in the tech industry. Um, first off, Josh, thanks for joining us today. Excited to be here. Well, let's talk a little bit about NVIDIA, which is going to report August 16th. And before we started recording, you talked a little bit about why it's important to look at the earnings of companies that you might not even own. And I was curious as to why you feel that is important as an investor. Right. So if you're a Prometheus member uh, and you follow me, you've probably seen my uh, obnoxiously long uh, earnings previews. Um, So, you know, whether you read them or not, um, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about um, companies that I don't own uh, because, while they're not core to my holdings in terms of a performance uh, uh, standpoint in real time, um, it's really important to listen to as many earnings calls in your sector as possible because it gives you clues about the names you own and about the broader macro um, and the industry that you're focusing on as well. Um, So... 
that's why, you know, I have a lot of opinions about companies that I might not even own, but mm -hmm. I can glean a lot of insights from what they say on the call and from their SEC filings, uh, transcripts, um, investor events as well. So that, that, that hasn't, that's not earnings or related, but if they have a, you know, a presentation at Morgan Stanley, I'll probably listen to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, the most, you know, of recent, uh, the most, you know, prominent earnings or results that came out were on big tech. Um, yeah. and you know, my, thought process going into the earnings week of big tech was sentiment was pretty bad on those names. And while I didn't think the earnings results will be that fantastic, um, there is no such thing as a good or bad earnings report, right? It's, is it better than expected or is it not as good as expected? Right? So my thought process was that they won't be great, but they'll be much better than expected, right? Mm -hmm. And as long as it's much better than expected, um, the stocks are going to go up, right? So I actually expressed that view in my portfolio um, through some options positions that I no longer own because they've paid handsomely in the last <laughs> week. Um, <laughs> nice. um, but yeah, it was on the triple Qs. Um, oh, wow. okay. And I didn't do... I didn't place that trade on individual big tech names because you don't want to buy options leading up to an earnings report because that vault is very elevated and mm -hmm. uh, you know you need a much higher than implied move to actually make some serious money there. So it's better to look at an ETF that tracks those names and it's really easy to find that because mm -hmm. the triple Qs uh, kind of, you know, it's like of the top, seven names uh, mm -hmm. in the QQQ, they make up like 60 plus percent of the ETF. So you don't really need to focus on individual names when it comes to a trade there. Mm -hmm. um, so that worked out well. So why were you so optimistic that they were going to be doing slightly better than the street expected? Well, because first of all, um, big tech I mean, aside from maybe Meta, mm -hmm. has never necessarily put out a quote-unquote bad earnings report, yeah. uh, at least from my recent memory. I've, I don't remember the last time Apple's earnings report or Microsoft's earnings report or Google's earnings report was bad, per yeah. se. Like but it money. might be, right. So all the reports are technically good because the numbers are massive and the profits are massive and the margins are very wide, mm -hmm. but sometimes they might not be as good as expected. So the stocks would go down, right? In this scenario, uh, the expectations were very low and the sentiment was terrible. Um, it's not that I, I mean, like I said, it's not that I expected them to be good. It's that I didn't expect them to be as bad <laughs> as people expected. That's and that's all that matters. Yeah. And why is the sentiment like been so bad for most of them? Is it because the broader economy right now and some of the macro things that we're seeing, there just wasn't much, people weren't expecting much? So it's interesting because people characterize big tech as growth stocks. Mm -hmm. And 
It's not really true. They're not growth stocks anymore. Mm-hmm. They were, at least some but of them not are, anymore. Yeah. yeah, right. And if you're talking about, you know, the current environment where investors are looking for companies generating cash flow today, there are no companies in the entire world that generate more cash flow today than them. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of interesting uh, how they've been smacked around. I mean, aside from Apple, I think all of them were in a bear market. Yeah. Um, Apple has been really interesting. It's like a market of its own. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how it's barely down this year, just kind of given the risk that's embedded in the stock right now, particularly in regards to what's happening with Taiwan. At the moment, yeah. I think that they are one of the most vulnerable companies in the world. If we, the U.S., get into a major spat with China, if we lose the chip um, supplier, like we're and we just heard in the news today that China announced that if Nancy Pelosi does do her trip, which is supposed to be tomorrow, then they're going to take military action or they're threatening military action. She's flying over there, which is maybe insider trading. I don't know why she's going there, but. Um, you know, Apple's she really Apple needs make- that last trade. She really needs that yeah. one last big trade. <laughs> well, so the memes that I thought were pretty funny today were that she's shorting the market. She's actually shorting the market because if she goes there, um, it's going to just explode. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's intentionally not speaking out saying that, Hey, actually this is all fake news. I'm not going there. She's waiting until her puts are sold. And then tomorrow morning, she's going to say, this is, not true. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> anymore. Since I won. Um, that's all speculation, but who knows what's really going to happen. Um, I mean, I kind of, I've had a lot of concern about Taiwan for about seven months now. Uh, Is it mostly because from we my, lose a chip supplier with TSW, um, you know, if, we, if they stop producing chips? TSM. TSM, yeah. Yeah. So, right. So TSM is probably the most systemically important company in the entire world. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are the biggest contributor to Taiwan's economy. Um, They're about 21, 22% of the EWT, which is the very unknown Taiwan ETF that Mm -hmm. (laughs) has recently started trading more in the options market because uh, there's been a lot of uh, volatile rhetoric around Taiwan. Um, but yeah, it's a big piece of the economy. It's very systemically Mm -hmm. important and it's systemically important to some of the most important companies in the world. IE, like I said, Apple, uh, Mm -hmm. some of the, you know, most innovative chip companies in the world, like Nvidia, AMD, um, Qualcomm, and they buy, you know, chip equipment from, Applied materials, LAM research. Um, so they're a very important player in the world. Most EV cars are going to use them for their EV vehicles. Yeah. And, and you know, so the number one, if in a worst case scenario, China were to actually invade Taiwan, um, I highly doubt that the chip supply is going to improve as a result. (laughs) Another problem is China, as you've heard over the last couple of years, they don't like monopolies. Mm -hmm. And TSM is a virtual monopoly. Um, They've actually raised the price of their wafers 
um, even before there was a major uh, supply shortage and um, they had, you know, nobody buffed because they're the only, they're the only game in town, right? So um, if China comes in and declares Taiwan as theirs, which they still do claim is theirs, mm-hmm. uh, they're, in my opinion, could nationalize TSM. Yeah, which they're already doing to a lot of their companies right now. Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of hair on this. Is that why it's um, so important for us to start bringing chip manufacturing to the United States? And they're proposing to do that with this bill that they're introducing to try to incentivize more building of chip manufacturing facilities in America? I believe that is exactly why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. It's not about incentivizing any chip equipment manufacturer. It's not about incentivizing production. It's about, we know that we are starting to ruffle feathers with China as a result of their stance on Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And Taiwan is home to the most important company, to the most important companies in the world, mm-hmm. you know? So we need to make sure that we secure chip supply. Yeah. Because if things do get bad, um, then, you know, we're screwed if we don't have this. Um, <laughs> but Taiwan is, I mean, uh, uh, TSM is also building a factory in Arizona, but that's going to take quite some time um, and billions of dollars. So, um, you know, we need a very fast fix here because we don't know when this is going to flip on its heels. Um, It could really happen any day. And that's the scariest part is obviously China invading Taiwan has been a conversation for a few decades. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, of recent, it it's starting to look like a much higher likelihood of happening than it was maybe two or three years ago. Yeah, for sure. And how do you think that that risk is beginning to affect the way some of these companies do business uh, in the current environment? Well, I think that globalization is uh, is dying very fast. And if um, we have to resort to bringing a lot of our production on our mainland as opposed to uh, producing a lot of things overseas, our costs are probably going to go up and our productivity is probably going to go down. So what's the only thing that's going to solve that is uh, the mother of all AI investment cycles, in (laughs) my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, Because companies will actually be forced um, to become more efficient um, in many ways within their workforce, within their manufacturing processes. Um, So I think it's actually going to force, like in the short term, it could be pretty painful, but in the long term, it could make us a much better country Mm -hmm. um, as a result of becoming significantly more efficient. And it was interesting. And I mean, this, they don't, I mean, aside from Apple, they don't produce any hard items, maybe on a very small scale. But if you notice in the 
in big tech's earnings calls, the, the most common phrase was AI investments yeah. and AI research. Um, and, you know, I know that there was a lot of chatter in the, in the mainstream media about these companies laying people off and how, what that might mean for, uh, their business and, you know, how much they're going to generate in profits and cash. And I was listening to all this crap and I'm like, have you looked at these companies' financials before? This is uh-huh. not about, this is not about cutting costs. This is about becoming more efficient. Um, and I said this a few times in some posts is that it's, it's a nothing burger. Um, and in all these press releases where they highlight, uh, the divisions that they're laying people off and they don't specify, um, like, no, no, I'm sorry. They specify how many people, but they don't specify which divisions. Departments, yeah. I switched it around. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think they're cutting the fat and they're focusing on their core priorities. Um, yeah. And I don't think anyone's going in there and laying off their most important employees. They're, you no, know, they're still no. growing and they're still developing yeah. areas that are important to them. They're keeping their essential employees in mm-hmm. regards to product development, uh, in regard to R and D, which is kind of lumped in the same thing, but, um, you know, and that's what's more valuable. You, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you don't need a bloated workforce. I think a lot of the big tech companies probably have too many engineers on staff and too many software developers. And I think they're starting to realize that, that mm-hmm. you don't need 10 people to do this. You probably only need one yeah. really good engineer or really good software developer. So let's change things around. That's how I thought about things. Um, and it was funny, like when Apple said they're going to lay off the workforce, like that, that was the vaguest press release I've ever read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it gave no information and the stock yeah, sold tens, off. Tens of thousands. Like of 3%. Yeah. No. So mm-hmm. I think it's meaningless. Um, they're not the younger growth stories in the market um, mm-hmm. where it might be a little bit more important for them to conserve the cash they have. Like Spotify just laid off 10% of his workforce. You know, they have a decent amount of cash there. Yeah, Shopify. Shopify did the same, I think. Yeah, Shopify, not Spotify. Shop, yeah. Shopify. I'm yeah, sorry. Shopify. Uh, sh- There's a great, Shopify. great yeah. Canadian company from Ottawa where, you know, I'm from here. And <laughs> I, uh, I love them. And hopefully, you know, I, th- I do think that they will have a big, strong comeback. Yeah. What do you think about Shopify? Do you think that they come back strong to like people's appetite for e-commerce and what they are able to build on it. I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful business. Um, I think that in 2020 and throughout 2021, um, the valuation was obscene mm-hmm. and, um, the numbers made no sense anymore. I mean, I think at the peak it was valued at 85 times it was trading at like $1,500 a share or something crazy. 1800 I think, was the high pre-split. And it, I think at that peak, it was at 85 times revenue or something yeah. insane like that. Um, so, you know, a lot of these companies like Shopify who've, you know, seen their stocks just get absolutely clobbered 
I mean, they're not bad companies, but you know, the valuation got way ahead of themselves. Um, yeah. And I think that Shopify over they overinvested in the same way that Amazon overinvested. They overbuilt or they tried mm-hmm. to overbuild. Well, they thought it was going to sustain through COVID. The, no, they, the business they saw yeah. during COVID, they thought it was going to keep sustaining itself and it just didn't. And Toby, you know, I think Toby just admitted that he's like, we made a mistake. It didn't. We thought it was going to keep going and it kind of cooled off. Yeah. And there is a, there is a big difference between pull forward demand and accelerating demand. And then there's a really bad one called temporary demand. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of companies like that too. Uh, In terms of temporary demand, I mean, in my opinion, I think Peloton was a company that was the epitome of having temporary demand. Because, um, well, they had a, they had a, they actually had a double whammy. They had pull forward demand and they had temporary demand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, everyone who I know who bought a Peloton, that Peloton is sitting oh, yeah. in their uh, in their basement or in the corner of their apartment. And they don't use and it they have not used it, and they stopped paying the a subscription. Yeah, um, exactly. And if you and if you work from home, the last thing you want to do is spend your workouts at home and do everything else at home. You want to like go to the yep. gym, like go out for yep. a run, go for a real as bike. soon as as soon as gyms, as soon as Equinox said we're reopening in some locations is when I actually took a short position in Peloton. It was <laughs> it was a pretty it was kind of a no-brainer in my mind. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, all right, this is pretty simple. <laughs> this yeah. you don't have to do a lot of math here, you know? And how did you um, how did that short position work out for you? Not too bad. I don't own it any <laughs> I, I I I I don't have that position anymore, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um but yeah I mean a lot of like a lot of names had a lot of pull forward demand. I mean, they had business that was condensed in like a nine month to 12 month period that probably was going to be spread out over several Mm -hmm. years if we didn't have a pandemic. Um, And they were priced at one point as if that level of growth was going to continue for more than a decade. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it was just grossly mispriced. A lot of these names were grossly mispriced, and you know, I will be completely candid. I mean, I own some of them too. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you own? <laughs> I own Shopify. <laughs> uh, yeah. Shopify was was uh, a huge one for me. Um, mm-hmm. At one point, I owned DocuSign, oh, wow. um, um, and I was telling. Terry this, um, but you know, there was a quote from George Soros at one point. I don't know if this is verbatim what he said, but he said something along the lines of, don't short a bubble, tell me how to make money from it. And <laughs> as long that. as you recognize that it's a bubble, it's completely okay to make money off a bubble. Um, as long as you recognize that this will end badly. <laughs> yeah, as long um, as you can get out of it on time and, and and time that. Yeah, and look, I didn't I didn't ride all these names to the t- tippy top. If I mean, if I did, I'd be. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm Superman, but I didn't. Um, but that's also probably what protected you from losing money because if you kept trying to ride them to the top, and then you might not have known when yeah. to sell. You know, it's like sometimes well, better to. Well, take actually, 
one of the names that I sold, uh, that I uh, sold, I ended up going short the stock. Um, What was that? And that was Shopify. Okay. That was Shopify. Um, And um, that went out okay. I I was out of the short around 500. Um, So not so pre-split. Five hundred. Uh, so that was a good one, um, mm. but you know, I probably shouldn't have owned some of the names that I kept. Um, but for the most part, I did sell most of the very speculative stuff. I think the one where I was caught a little bit flat-footed, I probably should have sold more of it. Um, was Square or mm-hmm. Block now? That was one where I think I I made a mistake, um, and they, they have earnings this week, uh, and I'm actually pretty concerned. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen with their earnings, and why are you concerned? The main thing I am concerned about is that they could face a massive write down of their afterpay acquisition, um, and that is because if you saw recently, mm-hmm. Klarna. Had a massive down round. I think it was an eighty-five percent down round. <laughs> it's really yeah. bad. Um, and uh, and a firm uh, has you know sold off eighty-five or ninety percent from the top. So if you're taking those two as a model, I mean, Block bought uh, Afterpay for twenty-nine billion, so they could be facing a near. $25 billion write down. And if you saw a few weeks ago when Teladoc wrote down their acquisition of Lavongo, mm-hmm. I believe the stock fell about 38 or 40%. And that was a much smaller acquisition. Mm-hmm. Right? It was a huge acquisition. $29 billion is a lot. Right. So I am concerned about that. Um, but nonetheless, um, after pay, you know, it gives Square uh, more exposure to larger merchants because Afterpay has a large, um, a larger uh, uh, merchant base in terms of the size of their merchants, right? Are so some of these pay over time companies that are generating like at least fifty million in revenue per year, as opposed to Block, which in their Square. E- um, ecosystem business, you know, they mainly focus on smaller merchants like coffee shops and restaurants and, you know, SM, just, you know, any kind of SMB. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Do Are some of these pay over time solutions like Affirm and, you know, Klarna, are they, do you think they were experiencing such success over COVID because people were doing a lot more e-commerce shopping and just choosing to pay over time? And how do you think they're going to fare now? So I think if you have to spread out like a hundred dollar purchase over four, I think that there's something wrong in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm true. just being honest here. <laughs> um, no, it's it's look a lot of these like pseudo fintech companies like um, they're 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 they're, they're subprime lenders that kind of made themselves look like a tech company. Like all these buy now, pay later companies, it's subprime lending. That it's, it's like in its purest form, it's subprime lending. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, there is no credit check 
for most of these, actually. Um, a lot of them are no interest. So basically, if you're uh, one of them that doesn't um, collect interest, like Afterpay, you're paid. So Afterpay is paid a fee by their partner banks, right? So it's like a mm-hmm. service fee. Uh, 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 you know, so they don't actually collect interest. So these consumers are, are paying zero interest and it's not reported to the credit bureau. So they're like, well, I'm not going to pay it, I guess, because, well, what's going to happen? <laughs> oh, wow, right? really? I didn't know that. So there's a lot of risk on some of these fintech companies to that they could, uh, you know, be on the hook for a lot of this money. I think buy now, pay later has a lot of heat underneath it. Uh, actually, in December, uh, I forgot the acronym for the regulator, but it's in the CFPB or something. Uh, there, it's the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are investigating these buy now, pay later platforms and and um, their lack of a disclosure that they make to users of those platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think if you do so, right now the market has been basically priced in a mild recession. Mm-hmm. I think if you get a more or a worse than mild recession, if you get one that is a medium <laughs> or uh, a really bad one, you could you could see a firm go to zero. Oh wow. Um, I don't I don't see how their balance sheet holds up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, people stop paying them for their hundred dollar purchases and they stop paying them for their thousand dollar you know yeah. <laughs> spread uh, spread out their payments. Uh, yeah. I, don't see how I, they I think I think that if you had to make a choice if you're an individual who has a bunch of buy now, pay later, quote unquote, loans outstanding with no interest and they're not going to be reported to the credit bureau and you have a credit card bill you need to pay, you're probably going to pay the credit card bill before you pay the buy now, pay later bill, (laughs) you know, because that affects your credit. You don't want your credit to be affected. Um, So, um do you think the do you think the market pricing in this mild recession right now is like weighing down some of the earnings reports that we're going to see? I'd love to get your take a little bit. Like investors were clearly inspired by healthier than expected earnings from companies like Apple and Amazon. Uh, you know, Amazon, you know, which is the number one cloud service, their revenue grew by thirty three percent and accounted for like most of almost all their profits because their core shopping business doesn't make nearly as much as AWS does. Um, you know, Microsoft, the same, their cloud revenue is, uh, you know, grew by 26%. Um, and Google's cloud revenue grew by 35%. So like, what do you think is happening with some of these earnings reports on Amazon, Microsoft, and Google? And how is the broader market in this mild recession that's pricing it in affecting some of those names? Hmm. So I think any company that is, heavily dependent on the consumer is probably going to face some trouble. Um, and, um, you know, that cuts across, you know, the consumer internet space that cuts across, um, you know, retail. I don't really focus on retail much. Um, uh, but in terms of where you're probably going to see strength is in enterprise a demand on the software and hardware side. Um, so NVIDIA is kind of, it's not really considered big tech. In my book, it is big tech. The 
the f- the the N and Fang is Nvidia for me. <laughs> why um, do you think it's not considered big tech? It's one of the fifth largest companies in the world, or something like that. It's something crazy. Like, it's, well, it's 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 not considered big tech from the media perspective, but mm-hmm. it is a massive tech company. It is it is arguably the connective tissue of our entire. Tech infrastructure. There's probably an NVIDIA chip um, in almost everybody's computer at home. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not Apple's, but um, you know, it's it's they they their data centers I think are, are massive. Um, so yeah, what, what do you what do you love about NVIDIA? And tell me a little bit about your thesis on it. Right. So, I think most people think of NVIDIA as a chip company. To someone who doesn't know enough about it, uh, they to most people they just make gaming GPUs, right? But now their data center business is larger than their gaming business. And uh, they're an underrated software company and they have the best pricing power in all of the semiconductor industry, at least on the uh, a discrete GPU side where they mm-hmm. have around uh, you know, 75, 80% plus uh, a market share. Um, I do not believe there is any company better positioned for the mother of all AI investment cycles that we are going to experience over the next decade. Um, and they touch every single industry from the hyperscalers. So the big cloud computing companies, um, Amazon, Azure, um, or AWS, Azure, and GCP, um, they touch the healthcare industry. They touch industrials. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a very key component to our technological infrastructure, and they are the AI powerhouse. If you're thinking about a company that is the purest play on AI, it's Nvidia. A lot mm-hmm. of people used to say it's Google, but I always kind of disagreed with that. I always thought it was Nvidia. AI. Uh, they, I mean, NVIDIA has become more of a, a AI computing platform than this hardware company. Yeah. Uh, they're a very, their software stack is uh, second to none. And they have a larger AI training set uh, than Google now. Um, so, yeah, and uh, I think if you look in at terms what of AI, doing, so, I'm sorry. sorry. I was just going to say, especially if you look at what they're going to potentially have to do with Meta building out the Metaverse and all these other companies building out different virtual reality stacks, you know, the uh, one of the biggest components is going to be how powerful your yeah. graphics chip is going to be. Yeah. It, I mean, it's so interesting because nobody knows what the Metaverse is going to be, really, mm-hmm. and they don't know who is going to control it. A lot of the, uh, a lot of people in the crypto community and in the gaming community believe that the best metaverse won't be controlled by the big tech companies. So mm-hmm. a lot of them actually are against uh, Meta's uh, metaverse strategy. Um, so regardless, though, wouldn't everybody need a super powerful GPU to be able to That experience? gets to my next point. <laughs> so no matter who controls the metaverse, NVIDIA touches every endpoint in the metaverse from hardware to software. So you cannot have a metaverse without a company like NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. The barriers to entry are way too high. Um, the 
resources and the technical expertise you have to have to create a hardware stack that is highly compatible to their existing software stack is 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 way too hard. Um, So I don't believe there's any company in the world that is better positioned for the next 10 years plus than NVIDIA. Could you Um, buy like money, like options that are out of the money, like far, like five years from now and just like, (laughs) if you think it's going to be a huge play? If you called up your prime and said, hey, I need you to make me an option for 2030, uh, he or she can probably do it, but they don't technically, they don't list those yet. Uh, (laughs) I think the furthest out option is June 2024 uh, for NVIDIA. Okay, we'll, we'll buy some of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've you know it's interesting how I discovered Nvidia. It was actually one of the first stocks I looked at when I was in college because um, I was interested in looking at gaming stocks uh, like Activision Blizzard and Take Two. I wasn't a gamer, so it was kind of weird how I was drawn to the industry. But I thought it was interesting, and I didn't like the game publishers because. The revenue um, and uh, and and earnings trajectory were very uh, dependent on a select few titles they put out, and you know what if there's a delay in you know in the game, or um, you know there's seasonality with with uh, you know the uh, game publishing cycle. So I didn't like the gaming sector mm-hmm. per se, or the game publishing sector, but. I was thinking to myself, all right, what makes all this stuff possible? And I kept coming across you know, NVIDIA. And that was well before their data center business was really built out. Um, you know, Since then, it's been like a 15x business, uh, mm-hmm. 20x business. I mean, uh, it, it, I don't see them as a gaming company anymore. Like anyone who just sees them as a gaming company, I think, is just... Is just really ignorant. No, their their data center business is massive. Yeah, yeah. But I guess the one thing for their upcoming results um, mid August or late August um, is gaming will definitely be weak. If you, I've I've been tracking uh, gaming GPU prices, and you know they've been steadily trending down. So they're probably going to get hit there. It can hit margins a bit, but the data center business is going to be very, very strong mm-hmm. as evidenced by hyperscaler um, results from AWS, Azure, GCP. So I anticipate yeah. some some strong numbers there and also some strong numbers on the data center side from AMD tomorrow. Um, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the lost revenue that Intel experienced uh will show up on nvidia's top line um so as a money manager yourself as an investor like you are how do you play something like this going into earnings season for a company like nvidia are you going to potentially you know look at buying some of it or what would you how would you operate so my nvidia position um you know i've owned the stock personally for quite some time and i've owned it in the fund since since inception, um, it's by far our largest position. Uh, Jag Capital runs a pretty concentrated portfolio. My investment a philosophy surrounds investing in businesses that have tentacles. And um, mm-hmm. there are frankly very few companies out there 
that actually have tentacles. And if I can just kind of elaborate on what that means, if anyone has never heard that term, but um, essentially what it means is that you have an existing, uh, the dominant base in your existing industry or your Mm -hmm. existing sector, or you're becoming a very dominant uh, player in your in your industry, and you're able to use the resources and capital that you've built up over the years into other adjacent industries. And because you've been able to dominate your legacy industry, you're able to dominate all the other adjacent industries that you're entering or um, challenge the incumbent players to a significant degree. Um, so my portfolio currently, I mean, I own 12 names, right? So wow. NVIDIA is is number one. It is uh, by far the largest holding. Uh, it is about a 19% weight in Jack Capital. Um, wow. <laughs> a lot of that is because the stock has gone up so much <laughs> in the mm-hmm. last three years. And um, yeah, it's exploded in the last three years. The, right now it's a little, it's near its 52 week low. Um, and you've held it throughout. I think the fifty-two week low was one forty. Okay, one forty-one. Yeah, no, right now it's one eighty. Uh, I think. I I started adding to my position around three fifty. That was the uh, the pre-split uh, uh, level. So I, I, I'm Nvidia did a four to one stock split um, last year. Uh, so one fifty was kind of the pre-split level. Uh, which would have been 600. Um, so that's where I was adding uh, of recent and, and had a few um, options tied to it as well. Um, so Amazing. yeah, our that. conviction on NVIDIA is, is, is higher than ever. Um, yeah. You know, I think unfortunately as well with the stock, it got kind of tied into the whole crypto trade. Um, and that's mainly because a lot of Ethereum miners use, um, NVIDIA chips to mine Ethereum Uh and with Ethereum moving from proof of work to proof of stake, maybe, um, you know, the market was trying to account for that lost revenue, but the thing is, you know, that percentage of revenue is, is, is so minuscule compared to the rest of their business. So I thought that was a little bit ridiculous, but Anyway, one of my favorite stories about Nvidia was the one I heard where Jensen, their CEO, or in the early days of the company, um, he got a letter. He, he heard from one of the from a doctor who was doing a PhD who was doing um, medical research, and this guy's son was a gamer, and he was he's his son basically suggested to him, "Why don't you use these Nvidia GPUs in your university research data centers instead of your CPUs?" And his research went from like, which would have taken him some maybe like 10 years to do overnight. Like it was just, they were just that much faster. And that gave Jensen the idea to basically use these for healthcare applications. So for research applications and build out these data centers where they could complete research from, you know, cancer drugs and different things like that and healthcare in Mm -hmm. a quarter of the amount of time and a 10th of the time that it would take um, traditional machines to do it. So they they basically like touch almost everything in every sector. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because GPUs, you know, in the early days were always just known as a gaming chip. And I think a lot of engineers realized how that 
computing power could be redeployed to many other applications and workflows. Mm -hmm. And that's what really allowed NVIDIA's business to explode. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's so, it's so interesting because if you look at NVIDIA's operating model, meaning, you know, the margin profile, um, free cash flow profile, I mean, they don't resemble a hardware company at all. They, mm -hmm. Their operating model looks like Microsoft's. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty insane. I mean, they have the highest margins in the ch chip industry by a landslide. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is partially because their pricing power is, you know, unassailable and, uh, they're an underrated software business and their software ARR uh, has yet to be broken out, but the penetration rate in its customer base um, for software is still very low, but it's growing incredibly fast because they're building out their software and AI stack arguably more than they're building out their chip roadmap. Um, mm. So I think in time, NVIDIA will become uh, more known as an AI computing platform, like I said, than just a ship company. I think that some people who follow the company closely have already realized that. Um, but for someone who doesn't follow the company, I think you need to be very cognizant that this isn't just like a company where you make a chip and you deliver it. <laughs> That's not yeah. what this company is. This is this is uh, going to be the 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 foundation of, of how our um, technology industry progresses forward, um, yeah. particularly in regards to AI. I think AI is not, their, their potential for AI is not even close to being priced into that stock. I don't think yeah. people understand their training set yeah. um, and their inference capabilities. It's I mean, it's astounding. Well, I mean, Emmett Peppers always says that he believes that Tesla is one of the is going to be the greatest company in the world. It's uh, one of the most important companies in the world. I mean, and it sounds like Nvidia will probably be one of the most right up there with them. One of the most important companies. In the I don't world. disagree with Emmett. I don't. I don't yeah. disagree with him at all. I I think that there is. I actually believe that Tesla's training set for AI is already the largest in the world, if not close to being there. Mm -hmm. um, so whoever has the largest training set for AI is going to be the most important company in the world. Mm -hmm. Tesla is actually my second largest position, <laughs> largely, be largely because the stock has gone up so much in the last few years. Uh, but I think that Tesla is, is the unassailable um, EV King. I mean, I think I think you told me that that's why you uh, um, and we can get into that in we'll another that. episode. I'm sure yeah, we'll that, get on that in the next episode. You told me that that's why you didn't get hired at uh, SAC or something because you were so bullish on Tesla at the time. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get hired at uh, point seventy two in twenty nineteen <laughs> because I pitched Tesla. I'm pretty <laughs> sure because I got to the final round and uh, they were asking questions about my pitch for Tesla and they just couldn't understand. Um, my thesis because my whole thesis kind of centered around, okay, so at the time, you know, Tesla was still burning billions in cash, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the narrative around the stock was completely 
backwards because they saw that cash burn as unproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think the sell with what a lot of the sell side and a lot of the buy side misunderstood is why that capital was being spent. Um, and it was to become vertically integrated and mm-hmm. to make their manufacturing process the best in the world, yeah, which they have successfully done. They are, they have, you know, they have industry leading margins by like two or three X to their, you know, Ford and GM. Uh, you know, it's interesting because like their operating income is about the same, if not more now than Ford mm-hmm. and GMs, but they still have less revenue than them. So what that tells you is that they run a more efficient, uh, operation all around. And I mean, I posted a, 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 a really informative article on this, on Prometheus and all that was great. They were basically detailing how literally every aspect of Tesla is vertically integrated from, you know, not using the classic dealership model, um, to, Developing their own internal IT systems, which is like not okay. something they make money off of. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> I it think they makes even make their own chips. Their process is more efficient. Yeah. Um, so any company that can be the most vertically integrated is one that is most mm-hmm. likely going to be the most successful because they have complete control over their profit destiny because yeah. they manage all of their their inputs in house, so they can find ways to improve efficiencies in many, many different areas, almost all areas. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they they used to use NVIDIA chips, um, but now they're going to develop their own called Dojo. That's um, still in development. uh, So that's going to be really exciting. They literally want to have control over every single thing they do, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think that it's been a pretty noisy stock of late, obviously, Mm -hmm. with Twitter and Elon's private life. Um, Mm. I don't actually believe that a lot of the bad or the hatchet jobs on Elon that come out are actually true. I have this theory that short sellers are running out of things to attack Tesla on. So they're attacking Elon now. Uh, It's obviously just a theory, but I don't think it's the worst one. <laughs> well, I think it's an, it's an, it's incredible that you didn't get that job at point seventy two. Thank God. Now you you actually can go make some money and you're killing it. <laughs> you can go buy. It's these okay. Stocks. I didn't. I didn't. You know, it's interesting. Like I I was never really motivated to work for anyone. To be honest with you, it, like if like at the time, well, if someone doesn't understand your thesis and you can now go do it on your own, it seems like you're in a much better position to go build. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Tesla just uh, announced it's a stock split. Are they doing a stock split coming up? Uh, yeah, it's going to be three to one. I mean, like stock splits obviously get a lot of noise, uh, but there is obviously no change to the actual value of the company. But, you know, it makes it more accessible to um, the retail investor base, which Elon has a very loyal following in. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Uh, they would they will appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, before I let you go, do you have any last thoughts or ideas that you're excited about this week, or any other earnings thoughts that you'd like to talk about? Um, I'm really interested to see if 
Nancy Pelosi actually goes to town. <laughs> and if this let's, actually let's happens. I, I'll, I'll bet you a hundred bucks that she goes and she shows up there tomorrow. Well, I have some trades on that <laughs> will make money if she lands in and she gets, or if she gets shot down. So really sort of, yeah, I do. Um, are you, sh- are you shorting the market or are you, you have some trades that the stock will go up if she goes? I have some, some smaller, shorter term trades on, um, longer short, short. Uh, mm-hmm. so I am, I have puts in, I got puts in Apple this morning and I got puts in TSM around midday, very small positions, nothing meaningful, but, um, if this actually does escalate to the level yeah. that the CCP is claiming they will escalate it to, uh, you don't want to be caught flat-footed because uh, the ripple effects across many industries, um, it, it, it'll be a bloodbath everywhere. I mean, I think she's going. I think otherwise, why wouldn't she just say, why wouldn't she just say I'm not going? Bo- bottom line, it'll be a bloodbath everywhere. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> And I think the Biden administration actually told her to like, please stand down. We don't need you to go. And she's still going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone does not want her to go. Yeah. No one wants her to go. Uh, she is the only one that her husband, her husband uh, wants is insisting. Her husband wants her to go so they can make her husband <laughs> wants her to go so they can make some cash. I gotta buy the new house in uh, Aspen, honey. So <laughs> yeah, they, they know that her career is not lasting very much much longer. <laughs> her oh, last God. term, probably. She, well, man, I don't understand what she's trying to do, but yeah, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to keep this going too long. But yeah, go ahead. No, no, I love it. It's incredible, and you know, we're gonna have you on more and more often. I I know. I love very your excited here. Your uh, you know interest in you know on the markets and your insights are incredible. Everyone should really go check out your posts on Prometheus because they're the most insightful and thoughtful posts and about you know how you view the market and how your fund views the market. So really excited to keep seeing you post there. And uh, thank you so much. And we're gonna get you on again this week and uh, talk more about earnings. Looking forward to it, man. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You too, man. Bye.